Amen. Thank you, Austin. Man, that is such a great song. If you will open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. The Revelation chapter 2. Anybody in here ever get sidetracked? Anybody? Some of you never do. You're focused. Laser focus. I read about a guy who got sidetracked. I decided to wash my car, he says. As I start toward the garage, I noticed that there's mail on the hall table. So I decided to go through the mail before I wash the car. I lay my car keys down on the table, but the junk mail in the trash can, un- and put the junk mail in the trash can under the table, and notice that the trash can is full. So I decide to put the bills back on the table and take out the trash first. But then I think, since I'm going to be near the mailbox when I take out the trash anyway, I may as well pay the bills first. I take my checkbook off the table and see that there's only one check left. My extra checks are in my desk in the study, so I go to my desk where I find the bottle of Coke that I had been drinking. I'm going to look for my checks, but first I need to push the Coke aside so that I don't accidentally knock it over. I see the Coke is getting warm, so I decide I better put it back in the refrigerator to keep it cold. As I head toward the kitchen with the Coke, a vase of flowers on the counter catches my eye. They need to be watered. I set the Coke down on the counter. I discover my reading glasses that I've been searching for all morning. I decide I better put them back on my desk, but first I'm going to water these flowers. I set the glasses back down on the counter, fill a container with water. Suddenly, I spot the television remote. Someone left it on the kitchen table. I realize that tonight when we go to watch TV, we'll be looking for that thing everywhere, but nobody will remember that it's on the kitchen table. So I decide to put it back in the den where it belongs, but first, I better water these flowers. I splash some water on the flowers, but most of it spills on the floor. So I set the remote back down on the table and get some towels and wipe up the spill. Then I head down the hall trying to remember what I was planning to do. At the end of the day, the car isn't washed, the bills aren't paid, there's a warm bottle of Coke sitting on the counter, the flowers aren't watered, there's still only one check in my checkbook, I can't find the remote, I can't find my glasses, and I don't remember what I did with the car keys. Then when I try to figure out why nothing got done today, I'm really baffled because I know I was really busy all day long, and I'm really tired. I realize this is a serious problem, and I'll try to get some help for it. But first, I need to check my email. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Wow, it happens all the time. I came by the church the other day, Friday, my day off, and I was going to do one thing. No way. Didn't, Didn't happen. I won't go into details, but... Serving but sidetracked is our message today. It's easy to get sidetracked. And the church at at Ephesus is like a lot of churches today. It got sidetracked. And Jesus spoke to that church. You know, when Jesus comes down out of heaven and speaks to John on the Isle of Patmos after he's already ascended and says, hey, I've got a message for you. He better listen and we better listen, right? And he spoke to seven churches And you look in chapter 2 of Revelation in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, what does that mean, angel? The word angel means messenger. So most commentators say that either means that the church actually had an angel that got assigned to it, or that just means the pastor who was the messenger of the church. I guess you can take your pick about who's an angel. But anyway, uh, the angel of the church in Ephesus. But you do need to remember that word means messenger. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now, what are the seven stars and the seven lampstands? Uh, the seven stars represent the perfect the Spirit of God. And also, he spoke to seven churches. 
and there were seven lampstands, and, and that represents the light of God in those churches. So it's very, very important. You know, what's a church without the light of God? It's just a bunch of people gathering in one place and singing and preaching to one another, void of the power and the Spirit of God. And so that is not what we need. So he goes on uh, in verse 2. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they're not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who in the world was that? It was a group of people and there's still there's uh, some different ideas about who they were, but, but they were false teachers. They were people who were on a power trip basically, okay? It's really not totally pertinent to this message, but I know sometimes you wonder who is that. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So Jesus says to this church, the first thing he says, he says, I know, I know that you're a serving church. Man, were they ever a serving church. They were one of the busiest churches you could ever find in all the world. He says, I know your deeds. That church was busy. And just think about you know, look at your church bulletin. We're busy too. Every church I've ever been to has a whole list of things that they're doing. And if you did them all, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd need to get some extra vitamins to keep up with all the stuff. And they were like that. They had a lot of activities, a lot of different things going on. And, you know, a lot of times we feel guilty because we can't get to all of them. And I don't think that's the purpose of church. But anyway, that's another sermon. But they were a church full of activities but not only that, but he says, I know your toil. And the word toil means to be at work till you're exhausted. And so there were people in that church who were working, wearing themselves out for the cause of the church and for the cause of Christ. So it wasn't that they weren't working and working hard. They, were, they really were working hard. They were all doing all kinds of activities. They were working very hard. And he said, I know your perseverance. You don't give up. And they needed perseverance because they were in the middle of a very pagan society. In the, in the city of Ephesus, there was the uh, temple to the goddess Diana. And just to put it mildly, it was a place of absolute immorality. It was a place where there was people who were appointed as singers and temple prostitutes. And they were living in the middle of a cesspool morally. The people in that city lived like cats and dogs, okay? And it's not unlike where we live in America today, in our world today, and if you bring up standards, then you're bigoted and hateful, right? That's what we get from our world these days. And so they were in the middle of that, and Jesus commended them for persevering and not giving up in the midst of a wicked generation, a, a wicked bunch of people. So they needed that kind of perseverance. And yet, uh, in all of that, in verse 2, he says, also, not only are you you have your deeds and you have your toil and you have your perseverance. But he says, you put to test those who call themselves apostles. They're not. And you find them to be false. They were pure doctrinally. I mean, they were sound. And if somebody came in and was teaching the wrong thing, they recognized it pretty quickly. And they not only recognized it, but they got rid of those. They expelled those people from their midst. And so 
They were doctrinally sound. They didn't tolerate heresy. So what a, you know, if you were to just look at this church, you and, and me, if we were to look at this church and see all the great things that they were doing, we would say, man, what a church, what a place, what a wonderful bunch of people. They're doing everything right. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, I've got something against you. And you say, well, pastor, you mean you can, we can believe right and do right and have doctrinal purity and believe all the fundamentals and still not be pleasing to Jesus? That's what he says. A little scary, isn't it? When you stop and think about it. So they were a serving church, no doubt about it, but they were a sidetracked church. In verse 4, it says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. You've left your first love. When they were first saved. Now, I want you to stop and think about this with me for a minute. There are, there are Jews, there are Gentiles. They're saved out of a pagan background. They, uh, their lives are changed. They are no longer trying to find fulfillment in the, in the empty things of the world. Now, some of us can really, really relate to that. Okay, Because that's where we were looking to find a, uh, some kind of fullness for the hole in our lives. And it wasn't there. But then Jesus came along and man he filled that up. And there was a sense of joy and enthusiasm. And it was just exciting to know him. And to be part of his church. And anticipating and uh, their times of prayer. They just came out of darkness and into freedom. And so it was, it was really exciting for those people at that time. Now you may or may not have had that kind of experience. You may have just always grown up in church and there wasn't really a big dramatic change when you were saved and baptized. But still, there needed to be a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so they, they got sidetracked on that. They, when they sang and when they preached and when they taught, it was mechanical. It was more going through the motions. It's more... I'm going to go to church because that's what we've always done. My parents went. My grandparents went. That's what we do. I want my kids to go, you know. And so it, it becomes a, a mechanical thing instead of something that comes from our love and our zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what was going on with them. They had, they had left that first love, that first enthusiasm, and it became something that was much more mechanical than life-changing. It, uh, it was more... Uh, doing things instead of being somebody in Christ. And, you know, I read a quote in one of my commentaries. It says, what we do is important, but why we do it is more important. And I heard years ago, I heard a man uh, who was preaching say, who you are is much more important than what you do. And that's true, isn't it? We must always put being before doing. Who are you? Well, if I ask you who you are, you might say, well, you know, I work so-and-so, or I'm a housewife, or I, you know. But who we are, who I am and who you are, is first of all, we are children of God, right? We've been adopted in the family of God through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He has become our all, as we sing about. And when that begins to fade and go away, then it, it becomes more of a a have-to than a get-to and a want-to and, and an enthused-to. And that's what was happening in their church. They had left that first love. But think about this with me a little bit. Now, I've read uh, sermons and heard sermons on this passage and read commentaries about it. And it, it, it always talks about your first love, you know, and how, you know, when you've, especially as guys, when we, we have our first love and we write them, you know, when I was... Uh, 
uh, Denise was telling our son the other day about all the letters I used to write her. I used to write her some really gushy letters. It was, wow. But anyway, I hope she threw them away. Uh, but it was, it, was a, it was a deep love. But I want you to think about this with me. Have you ever wanted to go back and have that feeling and that desire and that joy in your relationship to Christ or even in your marriage? I think Jesus is talking maybe about that, but I think he's talking about a lot more than that. Because you see, as I've been married, and many of you have been married longer than we have, you understand that first love is not necessarily strong enough to get you through the trials and temptations of life. And so it goes beyond first love to growing in love, to growing in love for one another. When the winds have blown. You remember what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? You build your life upon the rock. And when the storms come and the winds blow. And it will beat against your house. And that happens to every house, doesn't it? But when you build your life on that foundation of loving Christ. And, and obeying Him. Then it cannot blow your house down. So for us, it needs to be a first love kind of love as we continue in our relationship to Jesus. But as we do that, it grows to maturity and becomes something even more special as we move along. So it was a serving church. There was no doubt about that. But they had lost their purity. They had, they had promoted their purity over their passion. They had promoted their labor over their love. And it wasn't working. It, it was just mechanical. And so Jesus calls them on the carpet. They were summoned. They were called in. Have you ever got a summons from a court? Isn't that always a joy to get a summons, to get called in on the carpet? How many of you ever had to go to the principal's office? Man, we got a lot of really sweet people in here. And then there's the rest of you like me. Oh, I remember every time that ever happened. These butterflies, you know, and you're thinking, oh... And there was no sense thinking, what did I do? Because I knew what I did. You know, I was just hoping I wouldn't get caught. I get called on the carpet. I remember the first time, second grade. Second grade, I mean, I, I was destined for a life of crime. But anyway, uh, second grade, I get called into the principal's office, Mr. Harmon at Irma Nash Elementary in Mansfield, Texas. And I'm sitting there in front of Mr. Harmon. And he's this guy that's been a principal as far as the second grader concerned, he's about a hundred years old, you know, and he's got these horn rim glasses and he's looking at me and he gives me this lecture. And then when he gets finished, he says, okay, Daryl. And he pulls out this little ping pong paddle looking thing. And he said, first time with the little paddle. And then for dramatic effect, he reaches into his other drawer and pulls out a paddle that's about 10 feet long. And he says, next time we'll do it with this paddle. And I will never, ever forget that. <laughs> Man, being called on the carpet as a second grader is scary. But think about this. Jesus is calling this whole church. He's summoning them to his offices and he's saying, listen, you've left your first love. If you don't straighten up, you ever hear that when you were a kid? you don't straighten up, start seeking me and start returning. And if you don't repent, I'm going to take your light and just take it completely out of your church. Wow. 
He called them out, didn't he? So in verse 5, he gives them the remedy. He says, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, remember. And the word there means keep remembering. Don't stop remembering. Don't forget. Keep on keeping on remembering from where you have fallen and repent and do the deed you did at first or else I'm coming to you to remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And so what did he say? He said, repent. Not Jesus, not sweet, loving Jesus. He would never tell us to repent. Did you know that's the first thing he ever said? The first time he ever preached when he walked into the crowd, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he comes walking in the midst of this church and he looks at his church members and they're doing all these wonderful things and he says, repent. Man, keep on remembering and repent. And if you don't, then I'm going to remove your lampstand. Do the deeds as you did at first. Keep on remembering. Look back with me in Ephesians chapter 2 for just a minute. Remember, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And look at Ephesians chapter 2 and what Paul writes to them in verse 1. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. How were we in our trespasses and sins? What does it say? It says what? Dead. Dead. What's dead? Dead means dead to God. Dead means you don't have a chance. Dead means you're not in God's kingdom Dead means you're not in God's family. Dead means you can't relate to God. Dead means dead. And when you die, you're double dead because you didn't come to know Christ. That means dead. You understand dead? The Bible says there are two deaths. The first death is your physical death, but if you don't know Jesus, there's a second death. That's what it says on over toward the end of Revelation, doesn't it? He says, those who were not written in the Lamb's book of life were thrown in the lake of fire. And then he says, this is the second death. That's where all of us were before we came to know Christ. I am so glad, and I know you are too, that I am no longer there, aren't you? Would that cause you to love Him and to be grateful to Him? Well, sure. Do you think maybe that's what John is talking about when he says, you need to get back to your first love. You need to realize you were dead. I mean dead. I mean dead. But then he goes on to say, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all. He says all. What does all mean? Thank you. Formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were by what? By nature children of wrath. We inherited that nature from who? You got it from your mama and your daddy and your grandparents all the way back to Adam and Eve. You just inherited it. There's nothing you can do about it. We are all by nature children of wrath. What kind of wrath? The wrath of God. Even as the rest... But God, oh, those are two of the greatest words in the Bible, but God. Here you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Here you were inherited this nature of selfishness, but God. But God looked down in pity and in mercy. Look what he says. But God being rich, being rich, that means super abundant in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were, what? Dead in our transgressions, made us alive. Hallelujah. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. He made us alive and then He raised us up 
And then He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Somebody asks you, are you going to heaven? You can say, I'm already there. Because I'm sitting up there with Jesus. He has become my advocate. And as surely as He there, He's there, I'm there. No wonder He says, get back to your first love. You better love this man, because without Him, you're still dead. So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Think about it. Think about that one day when you and I, on that final day, in those final days, and when the Lord Jesus comes, who, who is going to be His trophy and His crown? It's going to be you and me, and we're going to be the displays of His amazing grace. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? What is it? Is it what you've earned from God, right? No, it says it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So when do you go to work? Not before, but after. After you love Him. After you realize your deadness and that you've come to know Him. After you live a life of thanksgiving and praise and honor and glory to the One who gave His all for you when you were dead and you had no hope. Then you go to work. For we are His workmanship. You are a work. Isn't that what that says? You are a work. We are not workers. We are a work. And He is working in and through us. And He says... We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created how? In Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. What is John saying when he gets to Revelation? You got the order out of place. You're doing the deeds and the works before you're walking in the love and the grace. Don't do that. And Jesus thought it was important enough to come down out of heaven and speak to the apostle and speak to the church at Ephesus, which is now a pile of rubble, and speak to your heart and mine and say, you had better not leave your first love, whether it's a church or an individual, because if you do, the light will go out. But there's good news. <laughs> there's good news at the end, isn't there? So look what he says. In the last verse there, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes. Who is that? Is that someone who grits their teeth and makes up their mind? No, that's just someone who lives and loves, lives in the Lord Jesus and loves the Lord Jesus and daily depends upon Him for overcoming grace. Because grace is more than saving grace. It is empowering grace. It is keeping grace. It is incredible, amazing, daily grace. And he says, that's how you do it. That's how you overcome. There's really over one overcomer, isn't there? And his name is Jesus. I heard of I heard Mike Huckabee say one time he was preaching at the convention and he said, he said, you know, everybody's worried about the Democrats and the Republicans. He said, I'm not depending upon a donkey or an elephant. I'm looking forward to coming back on a white horse. There is one who overcomes and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is he that we walk with and he that we love. And so this week, 
for me and for you, we better make sure that the name of Jesus is on our lips and in our hearts. And that we're having our devotion times, but it has to be more than that. You can't compartmentalize that. That has to be something that your devotion gets up and walks out the door and your devotion goes through all day long and you keep thinking, I was dead, I was dead, I was dead. But He has made me alive. And He has raised me up and seated me with Him in heavenly places. No wonder I love Him because why? He first loved me. That's the challenge. It's really not about, it's not about the church. It's about Jesus. The church is about Jesus. The, your life and mine are about Jesus. And anything short of that, he says, my light's not there. So he says, listen. Listen. Do parents ever tell you that? School starts this week. Teacher's been practicing. Listen. I had a teacher one time when we were kids and she did the pin drop thing. We'd always get a little noisy. She'd say, okay, okay, the pin's dropping. We'd all get quiet so we could hear this little pin drop. That's the good news. Jesus said, if you'll just listen and you'll make me your first love, and if you've lost that, get back to it, then I will give you power. And that's what I want. And I know that's what you want. I want the power to live daily for Him. And I want our church to have that kind of power too. I know all of us do. And so, yeah, it's good to... It's good to have a lot of deeds and a lot of activities. And it's good to toil and labor hard. That's important. And it's good to be doctrinally sound. But John said, you can be as straight as an arrow and as empty as a barrel. If you don't love Jesus first. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because why? He first loved me. Let's stand together as we pray.